Acts chapter 28. So right at the very end of the book of Acts. We started in August 2012 studying the book of Acts. Now, I know we haven't done necessarily continuously straight through since August of 2012. Um, but this book, the book of Acts, this history that was written by Luke, the physician. Uh, Luke, of course, accompanied the Apostle Paul in many of his journeys. And now we've come to the final two verses of the book. And so I can say that we've come to the end. But this is not the end of Paul's life. And that tells us something very important about the book of Acts. I believe Simon Kistemacher says it best when he says, throughout the second half of Acts, Luke portrays Paul as the leading figure. The reader would be tempted to think that Luke has written a biography of this apostle. This is not the case. For the book fails to relate the demise of Paul. Luke composed the history, not of Paul, but of the spread of the gospel. He concludes the book of Acts by showing that Paul presented the teachings of Jesus boldly and without hindrance. I think this is very important for us to understand as we deal with these final two verses. The book of Acts is not a biography. It's not a biography of Peter. It's not a biography of Paul. The book of Acts and the ministry of the church is not about a man. And, and you know, a lot of churches would do well to understand this. That the church is not about a man. Certainly not about the pastor of the church. The church is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ministry that God has called us to. And that is what Luke is writing about. The reason that we have taken the time to go through the book of Acts, very painstakingly. Maybe you felt like it's been 20 years in the book of Acts. I don't know. <laughs> like the puppets felt like this morning. I, I talked with several pastors over the last couple of years, and when, you know, when, I, when I get together with pastors, it's not uncommon for pastors to say, well, what are you preaching on? And what are you going through with your people? And just to kind of get an idea of what other pastors do. And when I tell them, well, I'm preaching through the book of Acts, and I'm preaching through the book of Acts, it's amazing how few pastors that I know have ever done that. I talked to my dad about it. When I first started the book of Acts, he said, you know, in all the years that I pastored and preached, I never preached through the book of Acts. He said, I preached a few passages here and there, a few chapters, but I never preached through the book of Acts from beginning to end. And I've realized as I've gone through it, maybe one of the reasons why. It's not easy to do. There are a number of portions of the book of Acts that would be a lot easier just to go, oh, we already done. Well, we've already touched on that. Let's move on. And just skip over things or move through things. Um, but there's a reason that I've taken the time to go through the book of Acts. And it's because I'm convinced that we need to understand the true message of the book of Acts, which is not about the ministry of Peter and John or Paul and Barnabas and Silas. It's about the ministry of the gospel in the lives of people. That's what the book of Acts is all about. That's what the church is all about. The ministry of the gospel in the lives of people. Have you taken to heart the importance of the ministry that God has called you to as a born-again child of God? These last two verses give us a glimpse, really more appropriately, a summary of Paul's life and ministry, I think, in a nutshell. 
This is how Paul lived. And by, by observing these last two verses, I think we're going to see something about how we should live if we truly belong to Jesus Christ. So look at these last two verses with me. Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. He says this, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Luke says here that Paul spent two years under house arrest in Rome. Remember, Paul came to Rome as a prisoner. He came to Rome because he had appealed to Caesar in the case that the Jews had brought against him. Paul was fearful for his life, if you will. He, he knew there were threats on his life, and he saw that he was not going to be released without paying a bribe or some sort of other thing was going to have to take place. So he appealed to Caesar. And Paul came to Rome as a prisoner. And that didn't change. Paul rented a house, but he was there in that house guarded by a Roman soldier. We said earlier that that Roman soldier was chained to Paul. And that wasn't a you know, massive uh, manacles that were wrapped around his wrist and these heavy chains. It was probably a very light chain from one hand of Paul to one hand of the soldier. But of course, for two years to live your life chained to another person, unable to go out of the door of your house, being in house arrest, being forced to be under constant supervision, no privacy, uh, no dignity left to you. I mean, this is not an ideal situation by any stretch of the imagination. Paul was, was in this situation, house arrest, and yet he had freedom. Paul's freedom was to receive guests into his home. And so we see in these last two verses that Paul dwelt two years in his rented house, but he received those who came. Paul was not, uh, did not spend that time being lazy. He didn't just sit around all the time. He made the most of his time in Rome. Now, um, if we read the rest of the New Testament, we're not going to take time to do that this morning. Uh, but if we read the rest of the New Testament, we find a whole lot of other details about what happened during this two-year period that Luke doesn't include. We know that Paul spent his time laboring in the ministry. So Luke doesn't include the details, but we find a lot of references to the kinds of things that he was doing. What was Paul doing? Well, I actually gave you a handout in your bulletin because I don't want to, I don't want to track down these verses this morning. Okay, I'm not going to look up all the verses. I've done that already. But I gave them to you so you could do this yourself. Okay? If you'd like to go through and on your own, maybe this week, go through and look at some of the things. Look at what was Paul doing in this two years that he was there in Rome. And I gave you on that handout in your bulletin a summary of those things with uh, the references attached so you can look up the passages. But, but let me just summarize it. This is what Paul was doing. We know that he wrote several letters to churches, some of which have been recognized as inspired scripture, including the letters to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, and to the Colossians. Paul was able to befriend a young slave named Onesimus, and when he befriended Onesimus, he led Onesimus to Christ. And Onesimus became a brother. Well, Paul learned that Onesimus had run away from his master, who was also a Christian and was a friend of Paul's. And Paul sent Onesimus back to his master, Philemon, with a letter. And that letter 
we still have today. Again, inspired scripture. Paul also enjoyed the fellowship of many of the brothers who came to Rome, including Tychicus, who Paul described as a beloved brother and a faithful minister of the Lord. Tychicus delivered letters to Ephesus, to Philippi, and to Colossae. Timothy was with Paul in Rome. Remember, Timothy, of course, is the subject of the two letters, First and Second Timothy, that Paul wrote. Timothy was a young man who was a, 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 led to, either led to Christ by Paul or discipled by Paul. And Timothy traveled with Paul a number of times throughout the book of Acts. Well, Paul, Timothy spent some time there with him in Rome. And he sent his greetings along with Paul to the churches at Philippi and Ephesus and Colossae. I could figure out my notes, I'll be good to go. Epaphroditus. There's another man that was with Paul. He brought Paul a gift from the church at Philippi. And Epaphras. Epaphras came from Colossae with a report of the church and brought Paul news about what was going on in Colossae. Paul spent time there in Rome with John Mark, who was Barnabas' nephew. Jesus, who was called Justice. We don't know anything else about him other than that. Demas, who later on would abandon Paul and would abandon the gospel, but at this time was faithful. And of course, there's Luke and Aristarchus, both of whom came with Paul on his original journey from Jerusalem to Rome and endured all that Paul endured along the way. All of these men were with Paul throughout the two years that he was there at some point in time. And certainly, these are only the ones we know about, right? These are only the things that Scripture records for us that Paul did. These are only the people that we know that he talked to in the letters that we have that he wrote. There may have been others. There certainly were other people. Like I said, Paul didn't waste his time in Rome. He spent his time there engaged in ministry. And what do we learn by observing all that Paul did during that time period? What do we learn about how we should engage in ministry? Well, I want you to look here, especially at verse 31, to see how Luke describes what Paul was doing in that time. We know the people that he ministered to. We know some of the things that he did. Here's how Luke describes it. Verse 31. Paul had received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of the gospel. Or, I'm sorry, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. What was Paul doing? Two words that, that Luke uses to describe Paul's actions here. Preaching and teaching. I believe that Luke intends for us to understand these two terms as two distinct categories. I don't think he's saying, I don't think he's using two words to refer to the same thing. I think he's talking about two very distinct, albeit related, aspects of ministry. The distinction of these two terms will help us to understand, I think, exactly what you and I ought to be doing every day as we have opportunity. Preaching the gospel and teaching the word of God. The first term, the term preaching, is the term keruso. And it's used throughout the New Testament to refer to the proclaiming the gospel to unbelievers. In fact, to my knowledge, there's not a single instance in the New Testament where this word is used to describe the ministry of someone to the church. It's always used in the context of referring to unbelievers. 
So what is it that a believer does with respect to unbelievers? What was it that Paul was doing when he encountered unbelievers? What is the one ministry of a, of a Christian to a non-Christian? It's this, to preach the gospel. Because that is what the non-believer needs. That is what our responsibility is. So the first thing that Paul did is he preached he, he, he was preaching the gospel. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel. But the second thing that he did, the second term there that he uses, is the term didasco, and it means to teach. But again, in the New Testament, that word is used all over and over and over again to talk about the process of training or discipling believers. In other words... Paul's ministry there in Rome for that two-year stretch in which he was there, that Luke summarizes so briefly, Paul's ministry was, was two-pronged, if you will, depending on the audience that he encountered. When he was visited by an unbeliever, such as well, the Roman soldiers who were chained to him, that captive audience, Paul was able to use his captivity for that purpose, certainly. You imagine if you were a Roman soldier raised to worship the gods of Rome, raised to, uh, to revere the emperor as a god, and you find yourself young, you know, young Roman soldier, just you know, barely out of basic training, and they, they throw you in this apartment and you're sitting next to this man who's late middle age, his body is not what it once was. He, he probably is stooped over and, and he bears marks all over his body of the beatings that he's taken. He probably moves slowly and, and probably doesn't see very well, doesn't read well. He, he writes with very large letters because he's unable to see and write very clearly. But you sit down next to him and they, they hook the chain on your wrist and on his wrist and he starts talking to you. And he starts telling you about how God came down from heaven and then took on himself human flesh, became a man and walked this earth, but not as, a, as an emperor, not as a king. He came and was born in a lowly stable, placed in a manger for his bed. And, and he, he lived his whole life walking the hillsides of Judea, Galilee. Not, not a Roman citizen, but simply a, a Jewish man. He lived and he taught. And when he just, just reached maturity and adulthood and the, the prime of his life, he was condemned and crucified. A common criminal. And Paul says, that's only the first part of the story. Let me tell you what happened next. You see, I was walking along the road one day, and all of a sudden a light, a powerful light shined from heaven and threw me to the ground. And a voice spoke to me from heaven. And I looked up and I saw this same Jesus and there he was, 
standing at the right hand of the throne of God, speaking to me, alive, risen from the dead. And you're this young Roman soldier, and you can't go anywhere for eight-hour shifts. You sit there and listen to Paul talk about Jesus. Tell you about all the things that God has done for him. And tell you about all the experiences. Again, remember Paul. He, Paul has been on, on journey after journey after journey. He's ministered in places all over the empire. And Paul is able to tell him stories of time and again how God was faithful and God was powerful and God transformed sinners into saints. Well, I'm sure that Paul had a ministry to the Roman soldiers. And there were not just a few of those Roman soldiers over the course of two years who went back to their barracks telling everybody, you will not believe what just happened to me. I just received Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. My sins are gone. Oh, and it wasn't just Roman soldiers. There were slaves. Again, we know he met Anastasius, who was a slave. Paul encountered many who were in need of the gospel. What did Paul do? Paul was faithful. He preached the gospel to them, telling them about Christ. Telling them that all they need to do to receive forgiveness and receive eternal life is to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Because the price has already been paid. And then, Paul also encountered those who were already believers. And he didn't need to proclaim the gospel to them and compel them to believe. They already believed. But what did he do when these believers came to visit him? Did he sit and talk about the latest football game or the NFL draft or, you know, the Major League Baseball? I'm going to go there. Major League Baseball season. I'm going to look that. None of those are bad things, but no. No. Those didn't occupy Paul's time. I'm not saying that he didn't have any other interests or he didn't do anything that was just that was, you know, just fun. But Paul's ministry was the focus of his life. And so when these brothers and sisters in Christ came to speak with them and to visit with them, I guarantee you Paul didn't let them leave without offering them some encouragement, some word of, of, of instruction from the Word of God. Because that's what Luke says he did. He taught them the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was faithful to preach the gospel to unbelievers and to teach. Why would he go to all that trouble to teach the disciples? Well, because what Jesus said in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. That's good. Go and evangelize. Go and witness. That's not all that Jesus said. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. They were to make disciples. This is what we're called to do as believers, as a church. We are to make disciples. We're to preach the gospel to lost people and compel them to trust Christ. We should do that. But that's only one aspect of our ministry. The other side of the mission is to continue, once they have believed, then to baptize them. That is, to identify them 
with Jesus Christ and with His church as born-again followers of Christ. And how do we do that? By immersing them in water. I mean, when you think about it that way, it just seems kind of strange. How is it that we identify ourselves as Christians? How do we tell other people? How do we show other people, I'm a Christian? There's one thing the New Testament tells us to do. It's to take them, this person who says, I'm a believer, I'm born again, I know Jesus Christ, and say, okay, great, you told me you believe in Christ. Now here's what you're going to do. You're going to show me, and not just me, but everybody. I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you under the water. And I'll pull you back up again. I, I was, had a chance to, to listen to a pastor uh, from uh, Russ, Wyoming. Uh, I think that's Italian. No, no, I'm sorry, not Russ. Uh, Burns, Wyoming. Burns, Wyoming. A uh, city of 300 and, three, 300 and some odd people. I forget the number of people. Inside. And he's been there planting a church since 2013. And God has really blessed him. And, um, I had, had a chance to hear him preach a couple years ago, and, and really, I just really appreciate his ministry. But um, he was saying he, he baptized a young girl just a little while ago, just a, just a little while back, and and, uh, and he told her, he said, now, he says, well, they, use a, they just use a, um, a horse trough, which is a watering tank. They just use that to fill up water uh, when they're going to baptize, and they use that and just... Uh, and so he, he told her, he said, now, if you see Jesus when you're down there, then that means I made a mistake. I messed up. And, then, and uh, so he didn't recommend that that's what you say to people before you baptize them. But, um, but no, this is, what, this is what it is, right? So how are we going to do it? How are you going to show people? How are you going to tell people that you are a Christian? We're going to take you. We're going to fill up the tank of water. We're going to put you under the water. We're going to pull you back out of the water. Romans 6 says that's because it pictures the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It pictures the believer's death to sin and the resurrection to new life in Jesus Christ. And so we do that. And that's what he says. You're going to baptize them to identify them as believers. But then you're going to teach them to obey all of the things that Christ commanded. This is what's called discipleship. That's what we use the term discipleship for. It's training to be a disciple. Training to be a follower. Training to obey the things that Christ has commanded. That's what Paul was doing with Tychicus and Timothy. With Epaphroditus and Epaphras. With Mark, Justice, and Demas. As well as Aristarchus and Luke. He taught them the things which concern the Lord Jesus so they could obey the truth. Now, most of you won't have any issue with anything that I've said so far. Of course. We're comfortable with that, right? I've preached it many times throughout this book of Acts. That the ministry that Christ gave to his followers was both evangelism and discipleship. And so we come to church on Sundays. And some of us on Wednesdays. Why? To be taught. To be instructed in the truth of the Word of God so that we can live according to His commands. We, we obey this. We say, fine, Christ wants us to learn and to obey, so we will learn and obey. Good. Good. That's a good thing. And we want to witness to others. He told us we should witness, so we want to witness to others. And that's good too. And some of us actually do that. And then some, we struggle with it. I'll admit, it's not an easy thing to do. Most of us are probably more comfortable with inviting someone to come to church so the pastor can preach the gospel than we are with actually instructing them in the gospel. 
But I think when we look at that, if we just kind of say, okay, yeah, I got that, right. The ministry of the church is about uh, preaching the gospel for the lost and discipling and training believers. Sure, Pastor, you've said that a lot, and we get that. That's why we're here. Okay. But I don't want you to miss the really important thing that we see here in Acts 28. Because here's the question I want you to think about. Luke says that Paul spent two years preaching the gospel to the lost and teaching the word of God to believers. Where did Paul do that? You notice that Paul didn't go to the weekly church service at First Baptist Church of Rome to preach the gospel and disciple believers. Paul didn't even go to the men's Bible study that met in the home of one of the members of First Baptist Church of Rome, you know, every week, to disciple others and preach the gospel. He didn't go to the ladies' Bible study that met in the home of one. That would have been awkward anyways. But he didn't go to the ladies' Bible study that met in the home of one of the members of First Baptist Church of Rome to preach the gospel to the lost and to disciple believers. He didn't go to any official function of the church to do that. Paul was restricted to his own house. He wasn't able to go and gather with believers somewhere. He couldn't go on a canoe trip or go bowling or go laser tagging. They did any of those things in Rome. I don't think he did. He couldn't do those things. He couldn't show up for a church work. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't even invite one of the other Christians and say, you know, listen, brother, let's go out for a cup of coffee this week. I'd like to sit with you and chat with you a little bit about what the Lord is doing. He didn't do any of those things. He couldn't. He was stuck there in his house. What did Paul do? He preached the gospel within his own house. And he taught the word of God within his own house. I think there's something to be made of this. Okay? I mean, obviously, too, I wouldn't have brought it up. Okay? I think there's something important here. Paul preached the gospel within his own house to those who came in who were unsaved. He preached the gospel within his own house to those who came in who were, or I'm sorry, he, he taught the, the believers that came to his house the word of God and instructed them and encouraged them to live for Christ in obedience. So I ask you the question this morning, is your home a place of preaching the gospel and teaching God's word to your brothers and sisters in Christ? We come to Sunday, we come to church on Sunday to do these things. But do you do it in your home? Do you use your home as a place of outreach? As a place of training? That's what Paul did. I think we're pretty comfortable with using Emmanuel Baptist Church as a place of evangelism and discipleship. I'm not sure how many of us have Embrace our responsibility to engage in the ministry ourselves in our own homes. In his book entitled The Complete Disciple, Paul Powell illustrates the problem this way. He says, Many churches today remind me of a laboring crew trying to gather in a harvest while they sit in the tool shed. They go to the tool shed every Sunday and they study bigger and better methods of agriculture. They sharpen their hoes, they grease their tractors, and they get up and go home. Then they come back again that night, they study bigger and better methods of agriculture, sharpen their hose, grease their tractors, and go home again. 
They come back Wednesday night and again study bigger and better methods of agriculture, sharpen their hoes, grease their tractors, and get up and go home. They do this week in and week out, year in, year out, and nobody ever goes out in the fields to gather and harvest. You see the problem here, don't you? If this is what we do, if this is what we're doing here right now, who's who's going to go out and reap the harvest? How is the harvest going to be reaped? We've embraced the role of learners. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with us coming here to sit under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and to be, to be trained and to be taught and to be built up. That's not a bad thing. We've embraced the role of a learner, but few of us, too few of us, embrace the role of preacher or teacher. By the way, it's not just men who are preachers. You throw that out there? It's not just men who are preachers. It's not. Get that idea out of your head right now. I'm not advocating that we hire a, a, you know, a woman to be an assistant. Hire my wife to be the assistant pastor. I'm not saying that. You know, we're not going to be one of those. We're the pastors of Emmanuel Baptist Church. You know, pastors, Mister and Missus. You know, some places like that. There's a difference there. Now, there's a difference between pastor and preacher. Our, our society, maybe in some places, has blurred that and said, no, they're the same. They're not the same thing. All of us, as Christians, are called to preach the gospel. To proclaim the gospel to the lost. And we're called to teach. All of us. You say, oh, I'm not a very good teacher. It's not a question of who's good and who's not. This is the ministry of the Christian life. To preach the gospel to the lost and to teach the word of God to believers. That's what we're called to do. Every person who's been born again by faith in the work of Jesus Christ is called to preach the gospel and teach the word of God to believers. That's what we are called to do. Notice Paul didn't make any excuses. I, I find this fascinating. You look at Paul here. Again, I just can't get past this. Paul didn't make any excuses why he couldn't witness or train other believers. But, but please understand, Paul's normal. what was Paul's normal procedure? We've, we've studied through Paul's life here, a, a large section of it in the book of Acts, and we've seen what Paul would do. He'd go to a city, and what would he usually do when he went to the city? He'd go right to the marketplace. And he would go to the most public place in town and start engaging people, start talking to people, start trying to make contact with people, and start preaching the gospel to lost people in the most public place he could find. That's what Paul normally did. And here he is under house arrest in Rome. He can't leave his house. He can't go to the store. He can't run by the bank. He can't drop out of the post office. He can't go to the library. He can't go out to eat. He can't go out to eat. Most of us in that situation would conclude that there isn't much opportunity for someone who's shut in to minister or to witness or to encourage others. In fact, we look at shut-ins and we think, well, we've got to find some way to minister to them, right? And some churches have whole ministries just to the shut-ins. Well, when would we ever consider that a shut-in could be a minister? It's Paul's one. Paul was shut in in his house. And yet Paul made a point 
of entertaining anyone and everyone who would come through his door and using that as an opportunity to minister, to witness, or to teach them the truth. Paul made an emphasis here, the priority of using his home as a place of ministry. And so I think we need to think about this. I think we need to consider, please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that if someone's a shut-in and they're not, you know, the Apostle Paul, that there's a problem. Just saying, we need to think about the fact that just being in our home and saying, well, I'm just at home and I don't really have any opportunity to go out and I can't really meet anybody or I can't really do anything. I can't really be a minister. I can't really witness. I can't really do. No, that's just not true. Paul was stuck in his apartment for two years. Couldn't go out. And yet Paul didn't let that stop him. I think we need to think about I don't have all the answers for you. I can't tell you what you've got to do. I can tell you this, though. What we need to do is we need to think about how we can impact the lives of those people who are within our reach. That's what Paul did. He couldn't go out of his house, so he stayed there and he ministered to everyone who came in. He took advantage of that opportunity. I was, as I said, we were out at Sinclair Baptist Church in Sinclair, Wyoming, for the Reach Keep Conference last week, and a couple of other pastors from Wisconsin uh, were out there, actually, who'd heard about the conference and had gone out there. Uh, Gary Thompson from up in Baldwin, Wisconsin, was out there, and then Jerry Marsden, who's a pastor of Wanakee Baptist Church, was there. And uh, Jerry was there, and he shared a testimony I thought was really interesting. Uh, He said that when he and his wife were in Bible college, they lived in a trailer park. And he said they had a trailer on one side, and in that trailer was a, a married couple who fought all the time. He said the wife used to beat up on her husband and it would be very violent and angry. And every night they would be screaming and yelling and, and, and so much so that you, know, you could hardly sleep. You know, because you'd lay there in bed and you could just hear them screaming and yelling at each other and fighting. And Jerry said that he and his wife used to lay there in bed and pray that God would strike them down. Shut them up so they could sleep. On the other side of, the, of their trailer, there was another trailer and a single man lived there. And he said every night he would fall asleep in front of the TV in his, in his chair with the TV volume cranked way up. And all night long the TV would be blaring loud. He said that uh, they'd lay there in bed praying that God would strike him down and shut the TV up or something. That's how he said it. I'm not making it up. I'm just saying what he said. And he said that his parents came down for a visit one time. These folks had driven all day and they came to their little place. And so he and his wife gave up their bedroom to his folks and let them sleep in there. And he said it was late and sure enough, the couple next door started fighting, yelling and hollering. And they on the other side and went to sleep and his TV was blaring loud. Jerry felt really bad. His parents were in there trying to sleep, and he thought, you know, they've been driving all day long. They're tired. You know, his parents weren't young, and he thought, boy, they're, you know, they're, they need their sleep, and this is just not good for them. And, and he was really upset and just very, very frustrated by it. And really, you know, he and his wife wanted to just lay there in bed and pray that God would strike the folks down and shut them all up. But his mother took a different approach. She came out of the bedroom and she told Jerry that she she wanted to go over and talk with them. 
And she said, I'm going to go over and I'm going to tell that couple that if they'll stop fighting and go to bed, I'll make them a pan of cinnamon rolls in the morning. And I'm going to go over and I'm going to tell that other man if he'll go to bed in his bed and shut off the TV and let us get some sleep, I'll bake him a pie tomorrow. And so she did. She went over to that trailer and the couple's fighting and hollering and yelling and screaming. She's banging on the side of the trailer to get their attention. They come to the door and she says, listen, if you'll just stop fighting and just go to bed, I'll bake you a pan of cinnamon rolls in the morning. Can you do that? And they agreed and they went to bed. She went over to the other side and she's banging on the door there, wake the guy up, and he comes to the door and she said, you know, if you would just go to bed and shut your TV off so that we could get some sleep, I'll bake you a pie tomorrow. So he did. The next morning, she baked cinnamon rolls. Jerry said they were the best he ever had. <coughs> Delivered them to the neighbors. He said they never heard that couple fight again. She baked a pie for the man next door. Took it and delivered it to him. And, she, and he said that just a, just a couple days later, his parents went back home. and Just a few days later, they pulled out on the road in front of an oncoming semi and they were hit. Both of them were killed instantly. So he and his wife prepared to go to the funeral service and take care of things. And he went over to this man who lived next door and he told him, but they were leaving and asked him to take care of a few things there while they were gone. And he said the man started to cry. He told him that Jerry's mother was the only woman who had ever loved him because she baked him a pie. Just cinnamon rolls in a pie, right? That's it. Maybe... Maybe you need to start a cinnamon roll baking ministry or a pie baking ministry. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know who it is that's within your reach. I don't know who it is that's within your influence. In Paul's case, he was stuck at home. And everybody who came to the door of Paul's house, if he determined they were an unbeliever, he preached the gospel to them. If he recognized the fellow believer, he encouraged them, and he challenged them in the Word of God. Because Paul took very seriously his ministry. Oh, and Jerry's, Jerry's comment that he made the other day when he shared that story was, he learned more about loving other people, and more about ministry to others. That one night watching his mother than he did in four years of Bible college. Did she care? It was just a pie and some cinnamon rolls, right? That was an expression of love. As someone who saw others not as obstacles to be overcome, but as individuals in need of love and service. This is what it looks like when we begin to engage in the Christian life outside of the four walls of this building. We start looking at the people around us. Maybe the neighbor who's constantly in annoyance or an aggravation. Or the family member who we just have a hard time getting along with and seeing eye to eye with. Or the co-worker that we struggle with. Whoever it is, I don't know who it is in your life. But there's somebody 
There's somebody that's coming in the door of your house. Maybe literally coming in the door of your house. Maybe just somebody close enough that you can reach out and touch. Somebody needs the gospel. Or some Christian that needs encouragement, needs to be challenged, needs to be built up in the faith. That's what the ministry of the Christian life is all about. That's what Paul was focused on. I think sometimes, I, and, I, and I, I hesitate to do this, I, I don't want to accuse anybody because I don't know, what, I don't know what, what the reason is why we struggle with this sometimes. I don't know why it's so hard for us sometimes to see people that are near us that need the gospel and need to be encouraged and built up. Why it's so hard for us to see it and to respond to that. One author put it this way, and I think this is a very important thing for us to consider. He said this, One of the greatest victories won by God's enemy has been the ability to convince most people, even most Christians, that there's no war being waged. So we might as well relax, feel good, and enjoy life. And I think, especially in the United States of America, with all of the things we've been blessed with, with all of the abundance that we have, and with the lifestyle that we enjoy, it's so easy for us to become complacent. Just living the good life. Not really concerned with the ministry that we've been called to. Not really concerned with the needs of those around us. Can I tell you this? I, I just, this just kills me. I, heard, I read an article yesterday online. I don't even know who this is. It was an anonymous article published in the Harvard Crimson, which is the Harvard newspaper, student newspaper. It's an anonymous article written by a young woman who's a student at Harvard who found herself pregnant. And so she went and had an abortion. And she writes in this letter about how lost, how alone she felt. And how she screams within herself every day. How it's tearing her apart. And all that I could think about as I read this article, this was ministering to her. Who's reaching out to her? Is anybody? Harvard is in Massachusetts. Ben, I've not been to Harvard. I've been to Massachusetts. Uh, I'm not sure there's anything I can do. I did the only thing I knew that I could do. I emailed the president of the newspaper. And I said, you know, I just want to let, I just want to tell you, I, I read this, and I, I'm concerned. I'm not asking you to tell me that you're not going to tell me the name of this person. And I give you the context. That's, I understand that. But I want to know if somebody ministering to her, somebody doing something for her. Because I read, and when I read this, I read a heart that is just completely broken and torn up by guilt. I don't think she even knows to call. And if she did, somebody would probably tell her you shouldn't feel guilty. You shouldn't let yourself to it. I want to reach out to her and say, God loves you. And Christ died. So that you could be forgiven. Yes, it's a terrible thing. But you can be forgiven. There's hope. The reality is, there's, there's almost no chance that I'll ever have any contact with that young woman. I have any way to minister to her. But I know there's people in my own neighborhood. 
I know there's people in my own house. I know there's people that I meet around town, people that I encounter, that I have the opportunity to minister, and there are for you as well. And I want to encourage you to consider the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Can I just say this as I close here? Every person we meet, every person we meet is a part of our mission as Christians. Get that. Every person we meet is a part of our ministry as a Christian, of our mission. They are either in need of the gospel and its life-giving power, or they are in need of continued training as a disciple of Christ. Every single person we meet falls in one of those two categories. What are you doing to fulfill your mission? The book of Acts doesn't end with Paul's death. Because the book of Acts is not a biography of Paul. It's about the mission of the gospel. The book of Acts ends with Paul preaching and teaching faithfully every day. What are you doing to fulfill the gospel? Let's ask the Lord to give us boldness and strength to preach the gospel and teach the things concerning Christ to everyone that He brings into our path. Let's pray.